I don't understand what kind of payoff deadening of a conscience happens to overlook something this egregious. I've never seen anything like that. I should never have to be forced to practice in such an environment. It's wrong. Hello, I'm Phelan McAleer. And I'm Anne McElhenney, and welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Yes, um, so what's to say today? Dar- as darkness descends across Israel, um, we bring you some hard truths about the attacks, and it is a dark day for Israel. I would argue it's uh, it's also a dark day for Gaza. Uh, I would also argue that Gaza has been in the dark and the dark ages for a lot longer than the last few days. Um, we're going to bring you some truths about the attacks that are going to maybe make you think again. So. And we bring you breaking news about our latest project. We've been kind of hinting about it for a while. A project that will reveal the truth about abortion in a way that has never been done before. It is quite unique, believe us. We'll talk about that later. So what is there to say um, about the attacks in Israel? It's a dark day. It's, it's Israel's 9-11, the, the, the biggest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. Huge. Mass, I mean, it, in, in, in comparison with what happened in the United States, it's, it's much, much bigger yeah. per capita from the size of the country. Yeah, the stories, if you can listen to them, and I have to admit, I can't listen to many of the stories. I can't watch many of the videos on, on Twitter. They're just too much. Um, but I would argue it's, it's also different. And uh, although it's bigger than 9-11, it's different from 9-11. Uh, you know, there was no social media then. There were no camera phones in 9-11. Uh, just, just missed 9-11, just missed that. We didn't see people die, pretty much. We didn't really see people die on 9-11. We saw the buildings collapse. We didn't see people murder men, women, and children. Uh, we didn't see them, the bodies. We didn't see the bodies, really, actually. And we didn't see the killers parade them and their children. Uh, Through the streets of uh, New York. And, and we didn't see them celebrate. We didn't see them celebrating. We also didn't see them yeah, parade the bodies through... Yeah, through the streets of New York, exactly. Uh, we didn't also see um, large numbers of people in Western cities Western celebrate, celebrate, um, cheering the murders. We, you know, so it's very different. Uh, there were isolated examples, as President Trump said at the time. There were isolated examples of people celebrating 9/11. But this 9/11, this Israel's 9/11, uh, people from. Toronto to New York to Belfast to Dublin to London we've had celebrations and, and the key difference actually here is that they're not just from Palestinians uh, you know because you know Palestinians they're on the team uh, you know got emotional about it you know this comes from people with no emotional skin in the game uh, for example Irish people we're Irish uh, we're actually in Ireland at the moment um, even though we're based in California. And it's very, very middle class or upper middle class people are cheering the rape and murder of Israeli women and the murder of their children, uh, or, or they are blaming Israel for it. Um, and when I say they have no emotional skin in the game, uh, maybe I'm being a little bit, maybe I'm not being entirely accurate. They're reflexively leftist, which is emotional. And that in Ireland, that means that they don't view Israelis as deserving of humanity. I think it's reflects reflexive leftism and leftism in all these upper class metropolitan cities now is uh, is anti-Semitic. It, it, it just it just seems that way, and anti-Semitism is just the thing. And there's been some horrible examples of yeah. of those of people celebrating and people saying extraordinary things. The big example I think you're going to talk about, Philem, is. What was said here in Ireland? Yes, yeah, no, we'll talk about Ireland because that's hey, we we know the people, and uh, we know their backgrounds. By the way, we know where they're coming from, and uh, you know it makes it all the more outrageous actually when when you know who these people are. I mean, for example, I mean this is not as bad as some of them, but you know, an Irish government minister has has called urged for a proportionate response from Israel to the attacks, and it's like, what does that mean? What what's, is, yeah, well, what's proportionate to rape and and parading women naked through the streets? What's proportionate? What's a proportionate response? Well, actually, I have a suggestion. So, so there's 2.3 million people in Gaza and there's 12 million people in um, in Israel. So, no, there's not. There's 8 million. So, 
that's four times so if let's say 700 israelis were killed does that mean they can kill seven fours 2800 and how many rapes are they allowed then if it's proportionate the response needed to be proportionate how do you proportionately respond to the murder of children, the deliberate murder of children, the deliberate murder of women who are not involved, and the, the rape and abduction of, of women as well. What's the proportionate response? Then you've got the other ones, and there, there we'll show that video now. There's a crowd gathering outside the Irish Parliament, and they are chanting, Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Now, for any of you who don't know what that means, uh, that means Palestine will be free. So it'll be, it'll be Palestine from the West Bank and Gaza to uh, the West Bank of the Jordan, the river, to the sea, all the way to the Mediterranean. So no Israel. So it's a, it's a chant to wipe out Israel, which is Hamas's uh, raison d'etre. So, uh, you know, that's Ireland, that's a, but then, then you get people like Chris Andrews TD. Now, Chris Andrews, his grandfather fought in the Irish War of Independence. His grandfather was, I think, one of the members of the first parliament in Ireland. His grandfather fought in the Irish Civil War. His grandfather was then a foreign minister of the Irish government. His father was a member of the Irish parliament. He's a cousin of Ryan Tuberdian as well, I believe. That's a, he's a cousin of somebody on the television in Ireland. Well, he's kind of the cousin of Jimmy Kimmel, you know. Uh, he, but, you know, these are, these are elites. These are elite people. Uh, this guy had, would have been to the best schools and the best universities. And what's he saying in a tweet? Then? The Irish people stand with Palestine, right? So, and, and, and it's in response to the president of the European Union saying, today Hamas terrorists have struck at the heart of Israel, capturing and killing innocent women and children. Israel has the right to defend itself. The European Union stands with Israel, right? So this is the head of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, saying this and saying they, they've struck at the heart, killing innocent women and children. The European Union stands with Israel. And he wrote, the Irish people stand with Palestine. I remember Chris Andrews. He, he used to run a little coffee shop, a super cool coffee shop on, uh, on Baggett Street. So the, the ultimate cool... And he is standing with the people of Palestine uh, for the killing, or he's standing with Palestine, so not with the people of Palestine, uh, in response to somebody saying they're capturing and killing innocent women and children. He's all good with that. This one caught my eye here. Jack Nolan will put this up. I don't know who Jack is. Jack he Nolan is a student at Trinity College, but studying like politics or whatever. The funniest thing about Jack Nolan, you can see his bio there from Twitter. He's basically he's decided to identify his pronouns in Irish. Yes. He's so right on. He has Shay A. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is Jack Nolan and he says in response to that, underneath that tweet from uh, the leader of the European Union who is who is condemning what's happened and, and shocked and all of that about what's happened with women and children being well, they put raped the flag, and murdered. They put the flag and, 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 uh, and they put the flag up um, outside, uh, outside of the European Parliament. And this Jack Nolan, Shay E, which is Irish for his pronouns says I pray to God that I don't see that blue and white butcher's apron on any Irish buildings any Irish person who stands with Israel is a traitor to their nation it almost makes he's in university by the way only somebody who would be in university could say something that appalling it, it almost makes me want to go over to Ireland uh, go and buy a kind of commercial building in uh, buy a commercial building in Dublin just to put a, a Israeli flag in. Maybe I could rent one for a day, pop up. I, well, I, I should have said about Chris Andrews, uh, who's the, the grandson of all the, and the son of all. He's also a, a, a member of the Irish Parliament. I just, I didn't, maybe I didn't say that. So he's a member of the Irish Parliament for Sinn Féin, which is going to be the biggest party uh, in, the next government. In, in the next election. Then you've got Richard Boyd Barrett, who's... Um, who's a member, I think he's the leader of People Before Profits, PBP, um, uh, who's, who's um, a socialist in the Irish Parliament and rep again, represents one of the richest parts of South Dublin. Palestinians hostage in, in criminal siege of Gaza for 17 years. Since 1948, Palestinians, victims of ethnic cleansing, murderous occupation and apartheid, they have every right to, ex to, resist. to resist. To resist. That's, you know, that is one of the most privileged richard went to a private school as well in south dublin so he's he's one of the richest people uh in dublin you know from a very 
wealthy and privileged background and uh, has no problem with the murder and rape of women and children. Good for you, Richard. Well done. Now, people before profit, you may remember, they were very heavily involved in the uh, pro-trans protest in Dublin. And I really liked it. That they're, they're known by their ac an acronym, PBP. And somebody says, they're not people before profit. Now, they're people banning puberty. So um, I like that one. So Sinn Féin, um, so they're going to be the, large, they're the largest party in Northern Ireland. And they're going to be the largest party in Southern Ireland after the next election. So let's have a look at what they put up on this. This is young Sinn Féin, Ogre Sinn Féin. And they put up a new picture on their profile of the Palestinian flag. Isn't that, isn't that nice to have a hobby, I suppose, you know? And then we got Jerry Carroll, who's a people before profit person up in Belfast. And by the way, these are not obscure people. These, the, the Sinn Féin is going to be in the government of Republic of Ireland at the next election. They're already in the government only the government's not sitting at the moment in northern ireland so jerry carroll proud to stand with hundreds of others uh in belfast to say we support palestinian freedom and liberation so they're just anti-semites basically <sighs> basically you know they may say they're not but it doesn't make any sense why they're singling out israel as some kind of human rights abuser when uh, you know if you, look, if you look around that region you know and by the way the, the really funny thing is if people before profit or Sinn Féin or Chris Andrews or any of these people uh, try to go to the United Arab Emirates, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Palestine, actually go to Gaza and set up people before profit there, set up a political party there. Good luck with that. And then, then you've got Connolly Books, which is this ultra left wing bookshop in Temple Bar in Dublin. If you've ever been to Dublin, you've probably been to Temple Bar. And they, on the evening of it, long live the heroic Palestinian people, long live their steadfast resistance, victory is certain, and a picture of the Palestinian flag above Connolly books. Wonderful. And then Ogresh and Fein, Gaza is the largest refugee camp on the world. Joe Brawley, my personal favourite. Now, Joe, Joe is uh, from Northern Ireland. He's a barrister, actually. He's a barrister and television pundit about sports. And um, he... All he got from this, he, he looked at this and the Israeli defense minister said, I have ordered a complete siege of the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we will act accordingly. Rome language, you know, probably shouldn't have used it, uh, but 700 of his people have been died. The biggest massacre since the Holocaust. Uh, Joe Brawley doesn't care about videos of women being murdered. Sorry, I won't say he doesn't care. But he has not tweeted about it. He, he, his idea to tweet was to pick up on the word human animals. He didn't tweet about women being kidnapped. He didn't tweet about women being killed. He didn't tweet about families being killed. Uh, he says, human animals. This is how Adolf Hitler described the Jewish people. You're such an intelligent person. And then now Alan Shatter, who is a Jewish MP, he pointed this one out and it's on, on Twitter there. Bono, and, that, and we can even play a little bit of that. Bono of you two, to be fair to him, uh, did he's they're currently playing in Sphere in Las Vegas that huge two billion dollar uh, outlet there they're playing there and Bono did offer talks yeah Bono of you two talks about the hundreds of young men and women who were murdered by Hamas terrorists at the music festival in Israel his statement was made during the band's concert at the Sphere on Sunday night in Las Vegas so well done him you know it's the least he could have done we have been we have been rather uh, we've been very very critical of Bono but I have to say he has now redeemed himself somewhat in our estimation does he forget, are you forgiven for that bad poem on St Patrick's Day I would I've, it's come a long way to bring me back to, to back thinking, to Bono back to Bono back, well, we're back in LA maybe we should go and see him in the sphere what do you think Anna? Will we, or is that is that a step too far I'm not sure I'm not I'm not sure I'm ready for Vegas again maybe so yeah I mean but then you know the alliance party the great and the good so the, when I when I was a lad in Northern Ireland we were all trying to kill each other as we were um, there was the alliance party they were the good people they didn't they weren't sectarian they wouldn't get involved in violence they wouldn't oh my god they were so above it and they got every soft job going in, in quangos and all that they were the great and the good and uh, if you wanted to be on a hospital board you had to be a member of the alliance party any of the nice government jobs anyway their head uh, their leader Naomi Long uh, she called for justice uh, instead of lighting up buildings in solidarity hmm Right, no, no justice. Stop this instead, light. Of, instead of lighting up buildings in solidarity with either side, 
in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, maybe we should instead light a candle for peace in the darkness of war. Uh-huh. And in memory of all those whose lives have been lost, my prayer is for peace and justice for all. She posted with an X. Maybe we should all sing Imagine as well. I, I, I'll, I'll... I think I saw that Imagine was trending on Twitter today. No way, no way. I think so. The funny thing about Imagine is if... You know, you go to if you go to Gaza and sing, you can go to Tel Aviv now and um, sing Imagine. You could go to Jerusalem and sing Imagine. You could go to anywhere in Israel and sing Imagine. Some people would might not like it. Some a lot of people would join in. You know, it's a it's a it's a diverse society, Israel. By the way, I haven't been there, but I know that you can go there and sing Imagine. You go to Gaza, and as soon as you get to the song Imagine, there is no religion. Um, you will not get to sing the rest of the song and you'll be lucky to escape with your life. And that is a fact. So um, that is Ireland for you. Although all of you people who come to Ireland and say you love Ireland, I, I know I like Ireland myself, but you have to recognize that this is not. And it's not just Ireland. Plenty, plenty of other countries in Europe have, yep. a, similar, have a similar yes. affliction. And it's, and it's not just that there's a lot of uh, uh, Palestinians here or Arabs here. Uh, it's because it's it's homegrown anti-Semitism, and uh, you know it's a big project to try and overcome that because it seems when you look at what the pictures you saw and the reactions, you think, are these people on the same planet as the rest of us? Do they see what I see? Um, uh, moving right along, the whole situation in Israel has completely dominated everyone's minds and thoughts and prayers. It's an awful, awful dark time, as Phelan said. Um, we have breaking news about our latest project, which mm-hmm. we wanted to bring to you this week, even though there obviously were our minds and our thoughts are all on, on Israel, very, very much so. But we have been working on a on a project which we've been hinting at a little bit for quite a while. So um, we're really happy to bring to bring the breaking news to you um, about this new project. And I think the best way to explain this is there's a part of the Gosnell story that's never been told um, and that we've been wanting to tell for a long time. And we feel this is the right time to do that. For, for those out there who don't know who Kermit Gosnell is, I suppose we should actually uh, give them a little resume, uh, which I will go ahead. And, okay. and do. Kermit Gosnell is serving three life sentences in Pennsylvania prison. Uh, he is an abortion doctor from Philadelphia and he was also a huge opioid dealer. There were, there were, the authorities were raiding his clinic to because he was selling opioid prescriptions and they uncovered a house of horrors and they also uncovered America's biggest serial killer. He killed several patients and he killed hundreds if not thousands of babies in a 30 year killing spree. As in the babies and you know are there any sensitive ears listening you know maybe turn the, the volume off for the, for a moment. The babies, he there were extremely late-term abortions. The babies were born alive, and then he killed them by stabbing them to death. And it's it's a horrific story, but it's an important story. There are many Gosnells out there. So remember, they went into this clinic to look for drugs. And, and by the way, the clinic was filthy. So with that background, he's now serving three life sentences. Uh, with that background, tell 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 the story. Alan. So on the night of the raid, on the night of the raid, when the police and the CSI, the crime scene investigators, and the FBI and the, the Philadelphia police and pl- police from the the district attorney's office, when they went into the clinic, it was a huge crowd. I think there was eighteen law enforcement officers in total went in. They all took photographs because they needed to do that because mm-hmm. they, they didn't know what they were looking at. They might have needed these subsequently for a trial, and they did. And they took photographs of everything. They took photographs of the clinic. It was filthy. Um, there was cats in the clinic. There was cat litter in places where you know where people were going to the bathroom. The procedure rooms were filthy with blood, with blood and with um, and and equipment was old and decrepit. But as they moved forward, and I'm going to just quickly just kind of describe this. As they moved forward, they started to see bags and bags, red bags, and those red bags were filled with the remains, uh, human remains of children that had been uh, either aborted or murdered in the clinic. And I know a lot of you think that the two words are the same, but I'm just talking from a very much a legalistic, legalistic point, of view, point of view. Point of view. In the fridges and in freezers in the clinic. They found also the remains of babies. 
And they, they had to obviously open those containers, take the babies out, look at what they were looking at. So they photographed everything. In all, they found 47 bodies on the premises. And then those bodies of those children were taken to the medical examiner's office where they were cleaned, rehydrated in some cases, and photographed with high resolution mm. cameras. Those photographs have never been seen outside of the, court the courthouse. So we've made, we've, we've written a book about this, uh, which was a New York Times bestseller. We've, we've done a podcast on it. Um, uh, Called Serial Killer. Serial Killer, a true crime podcast, um, which got, was one of the, got into the top 10 of true crime podcasts, true crime podcasts. worldwide. Uh, we did a play about it in New York, which the venue cancelled. Uh, because it was going to shine a negative spotlight on abortion. The left don't want you to know more about this story because it tells the truth and they don't like the truth. And these photographs uh, are, are journalistic. In fact, they're, they're not even journalistic. They're evidence. And that's the name of the... Uh, well, uh, we haven't said yet. So we've, de- we've decided to have a photographic exhibition. A true crime. A true crime photographic exhibition. These have been done very often in the past. It's a very, it's a very rich tradition of having crime scene photographs in photo exhibitions in America. It's been done many, many, many times in the past. Um, so we are going to do exactly that. And we've chosen to do the first of these this photographic exhibition from these photographs that have never been seen outside of the courthouse we have decided to do that starting in columbus ohio many of you will probably know that there is a ballot initiative about to be voted on in ohio and we think that this part of the story this journalistic part of the story Mm -hmm. should be told and those photographs should be seen by people if they want to see them in columbus ohio and we will give you in the show notes all the details of the opening day and the hours when the exhibition will be running yeah. from around the 20th of October so from the week after next for about uh, for about three weeks yes. up until the ballot initiative which is on the no- November the 7th um, and we just think it's important that people know the truth and this is not we didn't take these photographs no we didn't uh, and uh, anti-abortion activists didn't take these photographs disinterested uh, police officers crime scene officers, FBI officers, DEA officers who were looking for evidence that they could present in court took these photographs. So you got to see these photographs. Now, most of the photographs are not graphic, by the way. They may be shocking and they may be, wow, and they may be, I don't believe it, but they're not graphic. And any that are graphic are going to be behind curtains. So you can pull the curtain and see it if you want. And if you're not, you can walk past. But it's important to know what goes on behind the doors, behind the closed doors of these places. Uh, across America. And our intention is to bring this exhibition across the country into yes. every state, into as many towns as possible to allow people to see these photographs. Um, and they're beautifully curated. We have a wonderful artist working with us to make this exhibition yes. possible. And that's where I get to say we would really appreciate your help. We have been very, very lucky with donors who always come up to the plate to help us when we're trying to do these unique projects. No one else does the work that we do. No one has done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. As I said, these photographs, as Phelan said, these are not from any kind of activist background. This is from a court case. This is evidence. This is unimpeachable. These, these cannot be questioned. And what's interesting about many of the photographs, and particularly the sensitive photographs of the babies, is that the law in Ohio will allow for babies to be legally adopted, legally aborted, excuse me, will allow for these babies to be legally aborted up to nine months. That's what they're trying to get into the constitution in Ohio and into the constitutions of many parts of the country. Maybe people, you know, let, what do you think? Have a look at this exhibition yes. and let us know what you think. And if you think it's a good idea to let people know what these abortions look like, then you will help us. Um, we've, as I think I mentioned before, we had a very generous donor who recently gave us $25,000. We would love to see that matched. That would help us a great deal obviously this is an expensive business it's a very expensive it's a very expensive business we've had to get um, a premises in in columbus we've got that we've gotten this wonderful artist to help us with the curation we're obviously you know producing prints of these of these photographs and staging them we're going to need security we're going to need need a lot of security a lot of security a lot of staff to attend on each day of the exhibition um but we would appreciate your help please help us do that but i wanted now at this point 
go to an interview I did how, earlier. How, how, how can people help? Go to unreportedstoriesociety.com. Give what you can. Yeah, please go to unreportedstoriesociety.com, unreportedstoriesociety.com and give yes. what you can. As I said, we would love to match that $25,000. It would go a long way to help us advertise and pay the people that we need to pay to Look, make this happen. I think the biggest, one of the biggest expense, you know, not, not I mean, obviously the printing of these beautiful, I mean, funny, the photographs are beautiful too. They, they, they're a record of, of an extraordinary moment in American history, actually. They're a record of a killer caught at a moment in time. Um, they're a record of how he was allowed to kill because, by the way, there, was, there were women who were killed in that clinic and the authorities never came behind those closed doors. Finally, the cops did, and we have those photographs. And it's a, it's a very very interesting insight into American society. And American it's also culture. it's also a chance for the children, mm. these babies that are quite extraordinary. The photographs of them are extraordinary. It's a chance for them to speak. It's for them for them to be heard and to be seen and to be recognised. Um, and let them speak for themselves. And the and the pictures actually do speak for themselves. What I did earlier, I think we're going to go over this interview I did earlier. I spoke earlier to a neonatologist, a famous neonatologist um to help us understand what she saw when she looked at this exhibition she has seen these photographs yes we sent her the photographs and she's had a chance to look and it's quite an extraordinary interview because she's a medical professional who works with babies at that very age and her reaction to looking at the photographs let's go over and hear that interview right now so we're now joined by dr robin perucci Robin Perucci is a clinical neonatologist and medical director of a 50-bed neonatal intensive care unit. She also has a master's degree in bioethics. She's authored multiple publications and speaks regularly around the country on a variety of perinatal and ethical issues. And so there was literally nobody we could have thought of as a better person to speak about the Gosnell case and in particular to look at these never before uh, released photographs that we are releasing um, now, um, crime scene photographs from the Gosnell case that have not been seen before. So first of all, you're very, very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Robin. I'm grateful to be here. Um, it's it's a different role that I'm used to, to playing um, as I get to care for our little ones. Well, that, that brings me to my very first question. Can you just tell all of us, what is neonatology? Basically, I'm a critical care doctor for babies. Um, I take care of little ones that are born at term, but too sick for their pediatricians to care for, all the way down to what we call edge of viability, our tiniest little ones. Um, and the edge of viability these days is 22 weeks. Term is 40 so they're literally halfway, mm -hmm. a little over halfway through a pregnancy. Um, and then every combination of if there's something that's not gone correctly uh, with the baby or the pregnancy, we, um, we get to care for the babies. Um, but I would also say real quickly, there's no such thing as caring for a baby without caring for the mom and the family. So... Oh. Doing yes. all of those things is what I have the true privilege of getting to do. And how, you know, I want to, could you give us an example of a kind of, a kind of a case that you would, that you could tell us about? How young are some of these patients? You've mentioned the edge of viability at 22. What, at 22 weeks, what are you, what are you dealing with at that stage? What, what does this look like? So at 22 weeks, it's not just a small baby. Every single organ system is immature. So my job is how do I help the baby as safely as possible mature outside of the mother's womb um, and with all the different organ systems interrelated but uh, at a severe um, impediment because they're not made yet, uh, they're not in the de correct developmental yeah. place to function outside of mom. Um, and there are some things we're, we've gotten much better at. So not just survival is improving, but how well the babies are surviving. Having said that, it is with great humility um, that we're not perfect. And sometimes the babies arrive with other complications that I don't have the ability to heal. 
but that never means that the person is worthless before me. Always, no matter what is found, I have the true privilege of helping to the our best ability, um, helping the baby to survive as well as possible for as long as possible. And we absolutely celebrate when we get to send the babies home with the family uh, to go off and, and live and run around and torture their brothers and sisters and do all the right things. Um, but it's still an amazing miracle to watch that life unfold. Um, sometimes the lifespan is shorter, uh, but it's still meaningful and relevant and um, and desired by these families. They are fully loved. Oh, just one of the amazing, glorious things that we have discovered is by including the families more. Uh, even when it, they're tiny um, and their skin is still immature, getting them uh, on kangaroo care, when you put the baby right onto mom's chest, um, the babies do better. We watch this when the families are absolutely involved in holding and touching um, their little ones, um, including hearing the uh, the parents' voices. We have them read stories to them at the bedside. Uh, it literally helps um, hearing and visual connections within the brain. The neurodevelopment is better when the families are involved. So um, who knows? You're, you're, you need your parents. Um, so, but we keep yes. finding that out by the actual literature um, and by the science of what we get to do, in addition to dealing with how do I keep their, their lungs safe uh, with different kinds of specialized ventilators to use for the babies um, when they need them. Uh, they don't have much of an immune system, so trying to guard against infection. Uh, just Like I say, every single organ system is premature, um, and we kind of have to keep watch over all of it. The next thing I'm going to ask you to think about and talk about couldn't be a bigger contrast to what you've just <laughs> described. And I've sent you um, some photographs to look at and to talk about. And the first set of photographs, the first six photographs, are the photographs inside the Kermit Gosnell Clinic inside this women's medical center. It was called this women's medical center. And and these six photographs, I, I, I imagine, couldn't be a bigger contrast to the environment that you're describing, including you can see in one of those photographs, there's a cat. What is your, and I just want you to look at those six photographs of, you know, the different parts of this clinic. And these photographs were taken on the night that this clinic was raided by the police, by the FBI, this crime scene investigators, um, and they started clicking and taking photographs that would be used subsequently in a trial that put this man in prison for three life sentences. But what's your first impression of the clinic just looking at those six photographs? The first word that comes to mind is chaos. It, it's just um, a chaotic, unclean, un, unsafe place. Um, whether it's his his office, which is just wads of disorganized junk, I mean, just everywhere. I cannot imagine. I okay. I love animals and all of our furry friends, but to have a cat sitting in an area where patients are are going to be, and where sterile procedures should be done. I, I'm, I, I, it's a bit breathtaking in, uh, just my brain doesn't, it doesn't even compute. I was going to say how outside of, how outside of the norm is what you're looking at? Oh, please, Lord. It's, it's just unheard of. Um, it, that, that should never be. Um, I, I, I understand needing to use old equipment that is meticulously upkept to be at the best it can for an underserved population. But dirt and uh, just areas that I can't tell are, are sufficiently clean for anyone to remain safe from dire infection. Uh, 
I'm a little speechless. I, I, I just... I mean, so, you know, you, you probably know this and I know you know the, the Gosnell case quite well, but it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, and awful. So two women died, um, at least two women died um, from being dealt with by Gosnell, Samika Shaw and Karnamaya Monger, who was a young Bhutanese refugee. But, but meanwhile, you know, the piles and piles of complaints that were lodged at the Department of Health in Pennsylvania, at the Department of State in Pennsylvania, handwritten notes by doctors, by the way, who had who were receiving these patients who were coming out of the clinic in a, in a terrible state. They, 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 there was legions and legions and legions of complaints that went on and on and on for decades and nothing happened. What should have happened? Um, it should have been shut down in an instant. Um, all someone had to do is walk in the door. All I can say is that we it's we're, we have two standards of care. I I would never. I I okay. I wouldn't practice in an area like that personally. Um, of course, I mean I, I can't see a bacteria, but I can see surfaces that have clearly not been cleaned, or it's just somewhere where that looks unsafe. Um, you you just don't do that to human beings. So, um, we, we, where we work is tightly regulated. There are always, uh, getting ready for inspections, um, or government agencies coming through for accreditation. That's just the normal ebb and flow of what it is for the normal upkeep of any, either outpatient or inpatient facility, there's rules and regulations and they're there to safeguard the people we're there to serve. So I just don't even, my brain does not understand how a center like this even exists, much less with complaints that there's a trail to follow. Um, I don't understand. And you probably know Perhaps you know, but for 17 years, the Department of Health in Pennsylvania did not inspect the clinic, even though those two women died. Um, I mean, as a medical practitioner, how, how does that, like, what is your reaction to that? The people who passed on looking need to see these these photos. They just... I don't I don't understand what kind of payoff, what kind of um deadening of a conscience happens to overlook yes. something this egregious. Um it, it yes. like I say, it it doesn't make sense to me. I've never I've never seen anything like that. I just have it I yeah. please I should never have to be forced to practice in such an environment it's wrong it strikes me i have to say and i've made this point a lot of times you know pennsylvania has all the regulations you could possibly imagine it has all the rules it has all the laws every possible safeguard is there in place and every one of those were removed in this case and it has to i this is an opinion of mine and you don't have to agree with me it makes me think it's almost impossible that such a place does not exist elsewhere in the country because of the politics of abortion so that this was allowed to continue and to thrive despite the deaths of two women despite all of the complaints even in a place as highly regulated as Pennsylvania there's something very worrying about that because it makes me wonder what's happening in New York what's happening in Illinois California, New Mexico, Kansas, Colorado. What's happening in all those places where you can have an abortion up to nine months? I wonder, given the politics. I, it makes me want to... This is why calling abortion equivalent with health care is so deeply troubling. Whatever, you, wherever you fall on this issue... Whether and you know we've had so many women who have been traumatized by this that it, it's very hard. Um, the the language becomes 
so problematic, pro-choice, pro-life, pro uh we're talking about human beings. How do we back up and say, how do we safeguard each other? Look at this. Never again should this happen. There should never be in the United States where we have the very best um, access to to medical equipment and procedures and centers that are are held up as the pinnacle of people travel across the world for medical care to come here. How can we possibly agree to any uh, regulation or law that removes any of the safeguards that demand our women be kept as safe as possible for whatever procedure they need. We can argue about whether the, what that happens to it, the procedure later, but keep them safe. No one should ever have to enter a center like that, no matter what their problem is. It's, that's just wrong. I'm going to move on now to the next set of six photographs. Now, these photographs are, you'll see these red bags this is where Gosnell stored the remains of babies that had been aborted. Um, and I think in a couple of cases, some of the bodies that were recovered were, were in fact murdered um, in, the technical, in the technical phrase. Um, there are photographs here that show just the bags, just all of the bags. And also then we can see a fridge and we can see a freezer with these containers. Inside those containers were the bodies of babies. How are the baby's remains? So sometimes you don't have a great outcome in the neonatal unit, and sometimes you obviously have, have children who don't make it. How do you treat the remains? Because this is a very particular, um, this is what Gosnell did. He threw them into these red bags. He put them into the freezer. He threw them into the fridge. Um, he, in some cases, put them down um, the, the sink, in fact. Um, we know that because the drains were clogged up. What, how are the remains of babies in your clinic uh, treated? Okay, to have actual children in random containers, and containers is an overstatement. He's cut up part, bottom parts of, of just random plastic containers, like household goods. Uh, Okay, if I was speechless before what the premises look like, I don't even know what to do with this. Um, when we have the unfortunate experience of a little one passes, our nursing staff finds the most beautiful outfits to put the babies in. And we bring them tenderly wrapped in the softest blankets and the most beautiful clothing people had to donate to be held by their parents and lovingly touched and and bathed and cleaned and just um, held to people's hearts so to, for any human being to be discarded and left like this, um, I, I, it doesn't make sense. This is not how we treat each other. This is not how we treat each other. Yeah, this is not how we treat each other. I'm going to move on and show you these other set of photographs. This is a set of six photographs, very bizarre, extremely bizarre. This was something that a lot of the police, you can imagine, um, you're a doctor, you've seen a lot in your time, and these, these, many of these police officers have, you know, had been to terrible crime scenes, had seen terrible things. But one of the first things they came across was these jars of feet. Um, there's six photographs there that you can see um, that were shown in the court case. They were shown in the trial. The jury got to see these. And the medical experts that gave evidence during the trial could find no possible reason, uh, medical reason, for what he did, where he was cutting the feet off these children, keeping them in jars and keeping them for, you know, for years. 
um, with the name of the mom on the jar. We're obviously not going to be, we're not knowing, obviously none of these photographs are being shown on this podcast. Um, and any of them, any of that are, are being blurred out if there's anything sensitive in them. But for, I mean, I just wanted to really show them to you just to get a general, I mean, I know speechless is kind of the, is the theme of, of these photographs in many yeah, ways. Yeah, so we've now changed from the horror to just the bizarre. Uh, I, um, there is zero reason I can come up with of why these were kept like trinkets or trophies. I mean, I, 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 I got nothing. I have no idea. You're, that's what people said. That's what people certainly said that it looked like trophies that he'd kept trophies of, of what he had done. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, it just boggles the imagination of what, yeah. why, um, and, and how he, how you would just stop to further mutilate a child before you. I don't know. I'm moving on to the next set of photographs. We've got six photographs there. Now these are the photographs. And again, I just think from, I kind of, my heart kind of goes out to the police and the crime scene investigators who were on the scene that night. Um, these are the very bloody images. Again, these are not pro-life or they're not any part of a political campaign. These are part of the evidence that was shown in the trial. And these show what the police saw when they opened some of these containers. Um, and you have seen these photographs. They're the, the, you can see the babies. They're quite bloodied. They're also quite large, a number of them. There is one of them that you can see quite clearly has, um, has, a, has, a, has a, a cut in the back of his neck. So that one baby of that group was definitely murdered and 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 Gosnell is, is serving a life sentence for that crime but but looking at the others um is there anything that particularly um um particularly comes to mind when you look at those what are your thoughts on looking at those particular set of six photographs uh lots of lots of thoughts um so uh, first of all you, uh you're right to the first responders who had to deal with the trauma of discovery. Um, I, I just, I can't say it enough to them. I'm so, I'm so sorry that this is what you had to discover. Um, you know, I, I was, when I was, when, when you first contacted me, I was hesitant. And, and the reason why is because I think the discussion about abortion is, firstly, it's not new, and people have seen baby parts, and nothing has changed. So my reason for talking, for, as I, I really thought about this, I couldn't not step forward because as I, I've had an eyewitness to caring for babies this size. I've sent them, I've had the privilege with a team to send them home. And I, I just, for, for everyone who has had to turn away from the baby part pictures because it's too hard to look at, or if for, we've just, or we've just become kind of anesthetized to gory stuff at this date and time. If I could make a plea to look at them knowing we have the capacity to help. These are someone's sons and daughters and in different circumstances, um, they go home. And, you know, I, I've heard all the every uh, euphemisms people will and and I say this gently to people who've been in the terrible spot of having to decide they, they, they are considering terminating their baby for all sorts of reasons, but they've been told this lie that at some point, oh, it's just a clump of cells. There's no other clump of cells on the planet that if left unmolested, grows up to write poetry. 
There's no other clump of cells that grows up and sings songs um, and makes us laugh. Um, so no more, no more cell clumps discussions. We are human beings from the moment that we are created and whether wanted, whether our families are intact. How many of our families are, are little? We all have come from families that are imperfect. Even when the child is formed imperfectly, there's no such thing as a worthless or a disposable human being. Everyone deserves to be cared for and everyone deserves a trial of life. And we'll then figure out how long we have the privilege of caring for those individuals. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. This was this was a wonderful conversation, and um, all those little babies in the eco unit are very lucky to have you. Um, what a what a wonderful what a wonderful job that you have to do. I mean, I I was reading about neonatologists. Apparently, you're a hop you're a happy lot. <laughs> I I hope so. Um, I get to be there uh, for for the miraculous. So um, there's. Yeah. There's, right. there's days that it's, um, it's a world of extremes because we can't fix everything, but boy, yeah. it is uh, an amazing uh, privilege to get to do. Well, thank you so much, Robin. We really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thanks. I think that this is an incredible interview. I think this was what an amazing and wonderful doctor. And I just love the line. I think the line that we'll all remember from that interview totally. was, an imperfection is never a reason for abandonment. An imperfection is never a reason for abandonment. Please help us make this exhibition a success. If we do, we will be bringing it to a town near you mm -hmm. and to every town in the country because people need to know the truth. Yeah, so we're gonna, it's going to be in Columbus, Ohio. The, the details are going to be in the show notes. Uh, it's going to be in the letter. Sign up for our, go to our website and sign, give, sign up so you get our email subscriptions. We're going to be sending you out information about it as well. Come to it. Tell your friends about it. If you can't come, if your friends can't come, send a donation uh, to the unreported storiesociety.com. Nobody, the right, the left do photographic exhibitions all the time about climate change and about uh, BLM, BLM and all that and racism. This is, this is a photographic exhibition a journalistic photographic exhibition about the most important topic of all life and you'll notice and you'll notice i just should have said that earlier and perhaps we'll put this in earlier in the show what i you will notice that we showed during that interview we showed some of the photographs the photographs of the babies we did not show when we blurred them out or didn't show them at all we do not intend to do that um not in this in this format people will see them in the exhibition there will be behind little curtains so that people make this the decision themselves of whether they want to want yeah. to see them so you can walk into that exhibition and not see anything very without, dis without, very just very disturbing you you'll be see. you'll be left you have a choice you will have a choice of what you want to see we're pro-choice in that we're pro-choice in that regard yes okay that's enough from us for this week and let us know what you think and please let's get in touch with us in the show notes thank, thank you, you so much bye